You're listening to Story Warriors, the podcast that helps you craft great stories. Whether you're pitching investors, preparing a conference talk, writing copy, or even a book, a powerful story will help you connect with your audience and encourage them to take action. Thanks for joining Story Warriors. I'm your host, Jack Vincent. If you were over the age of seven in 2001, you'll remember where you were on 9-11. When you first saw the images of smoke billowing from both towers of the World Trade Center, the replay of the second plane hitting the South Tower, and the towers collapsing. I certainly do. I wasn't sure if it was the beginning of the end, but I was sure of one thing. The world was going to change forever. Little did I know that this change was going to happen within me. Four months before 9-11 in May 2001, ISL Worldwide, the legendary Swiss-based sports marketing agency, went down in a high-profile bankruptcy, and with it, so did my job. Based in ISL's London office at the time, I'd been commuting home most weekends to my young family who remained in Switzerland. But now, with ISL no longer paying my London rent an enviable salary, I ditched my life in the fast lane and took refuge in a quiet farmhouse on a hill in central Switzerland. I was content to spend the summer rebonding with my family, looking for work that, if all went well, I could start in the fall. It came with a challenge I hadn't expected. Age. My age and experience overqualified me for many middle management jobs, but those weren't the ones I wanted anyway. The cold reality is, however, that as you climb the career ladder, the C-level jobs are fewer and farther between. Over the course of the summer, I was finalist for two big roles, CEO of a mid-sized marketing agency in London and CMO of a larger agency in Madrid. I lost them both. Shit happens. Common belief is that autumn is the best time for job hunting anyway, so hope remained. I also had a prospect in my old stomping grounds of Barcelona who was about to make me an offer to consult, a role that would take 50% of my time, and that alone would keep the wolves from the door. But did I want to be on my own? Well, I could always end it if, when, the right role came around. CEO sure sounded nice. The leadership and vision. The salary and bonus the lifestyle, and perks. Of course, even as CEO, I'd be an employee. I'd have bosses, the board, the future shareholders. But weren't sleepless nights part of the game, I thought to myself, as I drove back from the gym one sunny September afternoon. You're midway through your career, dude. It's now or never, I was saying to myself. Welt Trade Center, three words repeated on this car radio. Welt Trade Center, World Trade Center. I had two special memories in that building from when I lived in New York, so I tried to decipher the German. About the only other word I could get at that time was Flugzeug, airplane. What would airplane have to do with World Trade Center? I parked the family car in the barn, walked through the farmyard, and revved up my energy for a few hours of job hunting with London and New York. I fired up my aging laptop, connected to the internet at 2001 speed, and waited as a few emails came in. The most recent one from my mom a few minutes earlier, and it had the subject line, 
World Trade Center. What the? Have you been watching the news? I could always hear my mom's voice as I read her letters and emails. A plane flew into one of the towers at the World Trade Center, and it's burning away. They're not sure how big of a plane, but some witnesses. Oh, my God, she typed in all caps. A second plane just hit the other tower. Could this be terrorism? And that's where she hit the send button. I scurried out to the living room and turned on the TV. Sure enough, both of the towers of the World Trade Center billowing with smoke. Replay after replay of the second plane hitting the tower. New Yorkers in the streets with their mouths open, as I was with the TV remote in hand. At some point, I sat down on the sofa and I stayed there for the next few weeks. Like everyone, like those New Yorkers, I was stunned. As a native of New York State and having worked in Manhattan at two points in my life, I was glued. I'm not sure if it was the news event itself or my connection with New York when my career had been accelerating. I was glued. I wanted to be there in Manhattan to bond, to grieve, to cry. But those tears never came in the safety of this farmhouse on a Swiss hillside. But the questions did, and the longing grew. Through all of it, what I found the most gripping were the images of the photocopies, normal eight and a half by 11 paper taped all around New York on bus stops in subway stations. Each photocopy had a photo image of someone who had gone to work in one of the towers on that splendid, sunny September morning, never to see their loved ones again, and never to be seen again. What gripped me weren't just the photos, but the hope that the survivors had for their lost loved ones. Hope that they'd been buried unhurt under the rubble and would miraculously be dug out. Hope that might be dazed and confused and would get their wits about them and come home. Hope that endured for days and weeks, and then after months, the hope that became despair. Have you seen my fiancé, Tony? He was in the Twin Towers on 9-11, but I can feel he's alive. Our mom is still alive. We know it. We think she was carried out of the building without her belongings and ID. She could be in a hospital. If you see her, please call. I was watching New York cry, grieve, bond, and I realized New York was getting stronger, stronger than ever, and I wasn't there. What also gripped me was watching the multi-ethnicity of New York come together through interreligious services around the city, rabbis, priests, imams, calling for peace and love, as were leaders of so many faiths. And that's when I also realized I didn't know anything about the world's religions. Now, I take pride in, especially as an American living in Europe, in winning trivia contests on world capitals and in conversations on the evolutions of languages as they're spoken in different lands. And yet, I had only a foggy notion of what Islam was. I wasn't even aware until watching an imam speak at a service in New York's St. Patrick's Cathedral that Jews, Christians, and Muslims were all children of Abraham. For me, it was, no pun intended, an epiphany. It was also a wake-up call. I needed to know this, not just for my personal fulfillment, 
but for having a richer understanding of this international life I live and the people within it. I needed to know this. But why? Wasn't my life fucked up enough right now? The sports marketing industry had crashed months earlier, and now, months later, most of my peers had landed on their feet. Here I was, on a hill overlooking Lucerne, Switzerland, feeling a million miles away from it all and picking fresh tomatoes. Fortunately, in late September, the consulting project came through. On October 1st, I was off to Barcelona and mentally engaged again. I wasn't flying business class. I wasn't putting client dinners on the expense account, but I was my own boss taking care of a good client. In late November, the client needed me to go to the States. First stop, New York. Meetings were set for the last Monday and Tuesday in November. What a stroke of luck. That was the Monday and Tuesday right after the Thanksgiving weekend, and the client was fine with me flying on the Wednesday before the Thursday holiday feast that my mom always put on. The transatlantic flight home was like scores of others over the decades, but the arrival was different. Today, JFK didn't feel like home. It felt suspicious, untrusting. It felt foreign. The United States of America didn't feel like the beacon of hope. It felt like the spotlight of fear. Flags everywhere, police everywhere, questions at immigrations like never before. I was a stranger in a strange land. I'd been an immigrant in other lands, and I know that feeling of vulnerability. Each time, I'd discovered something about myself and come out stronger. Now to feel that vulnerability in my homeland? Was there something I needed to discover in my own soul? Hey, if you're enjoying Story Warriors, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found me. And if you're looking to sell with more success or pitch with more impact, well, that's what I do. I help solopreneurs, startups, and Fortune 500s alike sell more effectively. If you want to talk about the challenges and opportunities you're facing in driving your top line, send me an email at jack at jackvincent.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. I'd been an immigrant in other lands, and I know that feeling of vulnerability. Each time, I'd discovered something about myself and come out stronger. Now to feel that vulnerability in my homeland? Was there something I needed to discover in my own soul? Thanksgiving was a blessed one. Yes, blessed, with a lot of talk about religion. In previous years, perhaps one of the believers at the table said grace and then got on with food, family, and football. This year, we were talking 9-11, 9-11, 9-11, and politics, and God, and Jesus, and Mohammed. Later that long weekend, an old friend asked me, when the hell are you going to move home, man? When Monday morning came along, my mom drove me through the cold, rainy morning across the Hudson River to the train station, and it was the first time I saw her with a tear in her eye as I departed. Suited and booted, I boarded the 705 to New York, two hours down the Hudson River, a trip I'd done a hundred times. Again, it was all uneventful, 
until I arrived in Penn Station. Again, police were everywhere, armed in riot gear, dogs at the alert. I stepped on the escalator from the platform up to the lobby level, and I was overwhelmed by a horrible smell, an almost toxic stench of burnt metal and charred electrical wire. My stomach tightened. I turned to the passenger coming up behind me. Is there a fire? He smiled kindly. That smell's been around since the attack. Since 9-11, I asked? The World Trade Center? But that's a few miles from here. It's everywhere, man. You won't get away from it. He touched my upper arm and looked right into my eyes. Hope you have an okay day, man. And he walked into the Dunkin' Donuts. And that's when I saw it. The photocopies. Hundreds and hundreds of photocopies of every color taped to the walls, on every wall, on every window, of every shop, of every restaurant. Every imaginable space was covered with these photocopies. I was seeing this now, not through the lens of a camera and a TV in Switzerland, but for the first time with my own eyes in New York. I was feeling the damp cold with my own skin. I was smelling the toxic stench with my own nose and tasting it in my mouth as New Yorkers, survivors, scurried on with their Monday morning. The air left my lungs. My jaw hung open. I walked toward the glass of the Amtrak waiting room, covered from ceiling to floor with these photocopied sheets of paper. On each one, words of hope. Words of desperation and a photo, a photo of a loved one whose life had been taken in the World Trade Center, a loved one who was smiling blissfully from days gone by. Those tears that didn't come to me back in Switzerland, they came now. I cried a full cry, not a whimpery cry, but a loud, abundant cry. That smiling, unknowing victim and the hurt of each survivor, the pain of each one of them, multiplied the collective struggle of this entire city and the tears far beyond mine. New York, I love you, I whispered to myself. You survivor, you. New York, I love you. I wasn't whispering to a city of cement and steel. I felt I was whispering with the humans of New York the humanity of the world, and I cried a little more. I found a tissue, wiped away some of the tears, and blew my nose. I had to get to a meeting. You okay? It was the guy from the escalator. He was wearing a black leather jacket, black boots, and rugged jeans, bag across his chest, Dunkin' Donuts bag in one hand, umbrella hooked over the other arm. Yeah, I'll be okay, I said, clearing my throat. Thanks. Thank you. His eyes were penetrating into mine. Slight wrinkles at the creases, a two-day graying beard. I felt his compassion, his wisdom. He had lived through this. I wanted to ask him a thousand questions, but he beat me to it. You lose someone, he asked. No, no, I've, I've been living in Switzerland, the safest place in this bloody world, I said. But I'm a New Yorker, and it's my first time back since... Yeah, since 9-11, and it's just, it's real, man, he said. It's just all caught up with me right now. Yeah, I get it, he said, his eyes still boring into me. So you're okay? Yeah, I'm okay. You've helped, man, thank you. He smiled, 
started on his way a few steps, and then stopped and called back. Do you believe in God? I didn't know what to say. His eyes pierced into mine again, intensely, but with an inner calm. I don't know, I called back. I don't fucking know. You will now, he said, but it might not be the one they told you about when you were growing up. He bowed and said, Namaste, and he was gone. I dried my tears, went to the taxi stand, and rode up to Madison in the mid-50s in my day-long meeting, which was uneventful, certainly compared to my morning in Penn Station. It ended around five, and to my relief, no client dinner. I was ready to check into my hotel a few blocks away, get out of the suit, and decompress. As I crossed Lexington Avenue, something stopped me. A bookstore. I'm a sucker for bookstores, especially when I'm back in my homeland. The hotel could wait. I bolted into the bookstore. I walked right past my usual business section, right past the self-help section, to a section I had always ignored, religion and spirituality. I spent the next hour there, suitcase and computer bag between my ankles, perusing titles and scouring pages. One sentence caught my eye. Begin like a beginner. So I left with two books, World Religions for Dummies and The Idiot's Guide to World Religions. I ordered dinner in my room and started reading the first book. Little did I know I'd spend the next few years devouring scores more in this genre. I was drawn to Buddhism, but I don't have the discipline. The story of Jesus, magnetic, but I don't have the conviction. Wicca, paganism, they seem so relevant, but not quite me. The Tao, that became my go-to philosophy, but did I have to commit to one? Couldn't I commit to a little bit of this and a little bit of that? What if I could combine my professional life, especially my most recent role in branding a great product, with the spiritual discovery I was uncovering right now? There was a link in there, and I was going to go deep. The one thing about spirituality is that it's timeless and universal. Take the supernatural out of it, and the messages are all about the human condition. The one thing about great branding is that it connects with the human psyche. Great brands must stay authentic to the product. That guy in Penn Station, to me, he was a product and a brand. He knew who he was, and he didn't need a suit to prove it. Had I met the Buddha? What about me? What about my brand? What about my product? How did I want to live and work the rest of my life? The more I asked myself this question, the more I knew I didn't want to be an employee again, not even a CEO, not because of the constraints of employment, but because I could be more valuable to the business world, to the startup world, if I could be wild, creative, strategic with a human side. Check that with a human core. I had been chasing bosses, structures who could mold me to some extent to their culture, and all the while, I was camouflaging small but important parts of who I really was. I was somebody who smoked a lot of weed when I was young. I was somebody who could sing every song from the Woodstock concert and from any genre that gets inside my heart and grabs my attention. And I was somebody who rarely let that side of me come out in the corporate agency environment. No more 
I could be valuable and still have my history. A history that, when I'm in touch with it, makes me creatively valuable. I could believe in God, but not if it was the one that I had been told to believe in. I could share things of tremendous value, but not if I had to do it the way I was told to create them. If I had to go back and work for a boss in an established structure, my gifts to the universe would be stifled. My value to the marketplace would be in a box, a very small box. By Friday, I had returned to Switzerland, to the farmhouse on the hill. On Saturday, I bought a new laptop of my choice. I wasn't going to ever be an employee again, so no need to wait for someone else to give me their laptop, their email address, and their network. I fitted out the home office. I created my own brand, and I bought a leather jacket. I was in business for myself, and I knew I would be for the rest of my life. Often, very often, I reflect on that cold Monday morning in Penn Station. I discovered New York all over again in all its raw human energy. I discovered humanity in all its hopes and fears. And I met the Buddha, and he wears a leather jacket. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. If you've got something you want me to cover or an idea for an episode or any suggestions at all, I'd love to hear from you. Check out my website and send me a message at jack at jackvincent.com. Let's connect on social too. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you found me. Thanks again and hope you join me for next week's episode of Story Warriors.